Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Yeah, that's actually, believe it or not, that was, that's the first time today, I think in my tenure here, that I got to have experienced worship without having to be on the stage. That was, for me, is quite the honor. Usually if, if Scott or one of the other team members leading, I'm at the men's retreat or up at camp, so that was awesome. And to see those little girls, man, it's just sweet. It's a little foretaste of what worship's going to be in heaven, where we're all gathered together. But it's a privilege to be able to preach today. I know Dave does not pass the torch lightly, so I see it an honor to handle the Word of God today. And we're going to be diving into the next default setting, which I think we all need to have some work in changing, because I think it's one of the areas that everybody struggles with. I don't know about you, but have you guys seen the movie Crocodile Dundee, 1986? Anyone see that movie? Yes, younger generation might be a little harder to understand this. So guy on the, guy on the left there is uh, Mick Dundee. He's a bushman in Australia. Really, really, it's a fun movie if you haven't seen it. It's fun. This is a reporter from New York. She flies over Australia. She wants to check in on the, you know, the bushman. So she meets, long story short, meets Mick Dundee ends up bringing him back to America. He's never been to America, never been to a city, never been to the Big Apple, so he's in New York City. And, of course, some robbers come and try to assault him and steal or attack him. Forgive my Australian accent. So the one, you know, robber comes out with a little pocket knife, I don't know, a little knife, something like that, and Mick Dundee in his accent pulls out this really big knife and says, that ain't a knife, this is a knife. And he has this humongous knife. Just a really, really funny scene. But I thought about that scene when I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And Paul is addressing the Corinthians. And they think they know what love is. And he addresses them. He says, that's not love. This is love. And he points them to 1 Corinthians 13. And we're reminded that this is usually thought of as the love chapter at a wedding. But it's not a celebration. This is a correction to the church at Corinth. Today, we need to change the default setting that we are naturally born with. If you are a parent, you experience this firsthand. When a kid is born, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. The first word after mom or dad is mine. That's mine. Give me that, right? You're just born with a selfish nature. In marriage, I think the First thing marriage points out is how selfish you are as an individual. And that was very true in my own life. And uh, Mindy, we've been married 20 in our 21st year. And let me tell you, it keeps getting better. Marriage keeps getting better. But the first month when we were figuring this thing out, we both realized how selfish we are. Because that's what marriage does. And the first month was rough because me, 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 she's like, well, I want to go back to Lancaster. I want to go to this. On Friday night, she want to do that. I want to do this. It's like a wait a second, we, we, we got to die to self and realize we, the two have become one. And marriage is very simple. It's dying to yourself, living to the other, which is pretty much what 
God says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, then love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to look at a passage on that a little bit later on. We recently had a couple over at our house that uh, we were just having dinner and working through some, some marital things, uh, trying to encourage them. And it's, it's funny because the first word out of his mouth was, I know I have to deny myself. Bottom line, he knows I'm sel- I know I'm selfish. And her too. He liked to go do video games. She liked to go play on the phone. Um, kind of Mindy and I, she wanted to go to Lancaster in a week. I want to do this. Just selfishness, purely selfishness. So we all know we have a selfishness problem. Everybody here, in, in one way or the other, whether it's your time, whether it's your finances, whether it's your, you fill in the blank, we all struggle with selfishness. The Corinthians are completely self-absorbed. I'll give you two examples. If you look, look in chapter 6, uh, they're getting frustrated with each other, so they begin to sue each other. Lawsuits are coming out. It's purely selfish. In chapter 11, which we're going to take communion a little bit later on, if you're joining us online, you can have the elements because we will do that in a little bit. In chapter 11, they're not waiting for one another to take communion. They're hurrying up and being selfish in their approach to the Lord's Supper. Love is a matter of prioritizing. I am to love God first, then my neighbor. The Christian life is about daily dying to the flesh. Our bottom line today is love is God-centered, not self-centered. If we say we love God, which most of us would say, ah, I love God, I love God. Well, look in the mirror. How much are we God-centered in our life, in our day-to-day actions versus self-centered? Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, he says, If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. There's a few verses I just love because following Christ is a choice. Obeying Christ is a choice. He's not going to hit you over the head, church, and say, follow me. You have to handcuff you and ball and chain, tie you behind him and walk. He says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. Selfless, right? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. First John, he says, if you confess, he's faithful and just. So the, the ball is in our court, right? If you confess, he's faithful and just. But you have to confess your sin. Revelation, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in. It's a choice. If the Old Testament is summed up with one word, love, and the responsibility of the Christian in the New Testament is love, then we need to know what it is and how to do it. So when I'm not on stage on a Sunday morning, my full-time job is I'm a teacher, a music teacher at Calvary Christian Academy in Philadelphia. Been there for 25 years. I'm kind of the B guy. I drive the bus, coach baseball, and teach bands. So I'm like the three Bs. I love it. I love it. And I love teaching music, seeing a kid who's never played an instrument, learn how to play and have confidence and do something that he couldn't do before. Uh, Baseball, I've been coaching baseball for 25 years. I love doing that. But I'm not really great at either of them. I just like to do both of them. So when I'm teaching my kids, I'm not like, hey, we're going to play trumpet today. Watch me do it. No. I'm like, we're going to look at a great trumpet player like Wynton Marsalis. So I'll have the kids, go watch YouTube. Just look at Wynton Marsalis, right? Or recently, I had them look up Trombone Shorty. Ever hear Trombone Shorty? Really awesome trombone. He plays trombone, trumpet. He's the most popular guy right now. He plays with all the, you know, big pop stars. But I want them to watch somebody who's famous to learn the craft. You want to be a good basketball player? You know, look at Michael Jordan. He will show you a couple moves. Or for me, I watch Dennis because, you know, he can play basketball. Baseball. You don't want to watch me hit a baseball because 
not very good at it. I say, guys, go pick out Mike Trout's swing. Mike Trout has the best swing in baseball, best hitter in baseball, phenomenal. And he's a local guy too. So I said, go watch Mike Trout, dissect his swing. What's his load like? What's his stride? How does he explode to the baseball? And they are looking at these greats. So church, if we want to be great, you look at somebody who's great at what they do. Today, we're going to learn how not to be selfish. We need to look at somebody who is great at not being selfish. You're not going to look at me. You're not going to look at yourself. You're not going to look at your spouse. Because if we're to look in the mirror, Paul said I was the chief of sinners. We would all say, oh, I'm probably the chief of selfishness. Today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. So I'd encourage you to take out your Bible if you want to use one of the Bibles in your pew. Page 1062. Now, here's why I just want to encourage you really quick. Use a page Bible. There's a, reason, a couple of reasons I encourage you to do that. First reason, when you're reading this Bible, it's not going to vibrate on you and say, look at something else. When you have the Bible up on your phone, it's going to vibrate. and You're going to be tempted and say, oh, I got to go look at you know, Twitter. I got to go look at Instagram. You know, it's so many distractions. The phone is really good, has a lot of good things to it. But it's not probably the best tool in trying to be still and hear God's voice speak because there's going to be 50 million other voices trying to draw for your attention. So I encourage you, when you do your own quiet time, use a really, you know, a real Bible, right, that has pages and that you can mark up and highlight. One of the things I do in my study is I keep three by five cards. And this is just a tool I use. I'll keep empty ones and then throughout my study, I fill them out. If a verse, the Lord speaks to me with a verse, I'll write it down and highlight something that the Spirit spoke to me about. But these are good, and then you can either keep them in your Bible or put them in your car, and then when you stop at a red light, instead of looking at your phone, pull up these Bible verses and, and just meditate, you know, because we were encouraged to renew the mind. You've got to have God's Word in and through you. The other thing is when you're reading your Bible, you're going to have a million thoughts, like i got to remember, like, i got to go to the store and get this, i got to do this. I have a little notepad. My, my pastor at the church I grew up in, he said, have a notepad, and when the thought comes to mind that's going to distract you from this, just write it down and then continue on because that's just natural. You're going to have those. It's going to be natural to be distracted. But this is also God's holy word, and it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's also God-breathed. So if you want to hear from God, we got to get into this book. If you think this book is boring, that's a lie from Satan. He wants you to think that because he doesn't want you to read it because he knows it offers life. It offers hope. It offers salvation. So if you think this book is boring, and I could give you some passages to read where it's not really boring, um, you're listening to the wrong voice. Satan's going to deceive you. He wants to tell you, and eh, it's boring. Go look at your phone. It's more important. This brings life. It can change your life. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 5. Remember, the Corinthians in 13 thought this was not a celebration, but this is a correction to the church at Corinth. We are incapable of loving this way by ourselves. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So let's pray before we dive into God's word. Father God, thank you for your word, which is truth, Lord, in a world where it doesn't seem, we don't, we don't even know what truth is. You watch the news, it's just craziness. Uh, one lie after another from anybody and everything. But we know your word is truth. It is without fault. It is 
the inspired word of God. It's active, living, can transform us. We ask you would transform us into your image today by the work of your spirit. We know we can't achieve selflessness on our own. It's got to be a work of your spirit that we would walk in the spirit, not gratifying the desires of the flesh. So we invite your spirit to move in this place today, Lord. Help us to leave a changed people, different than when we walked in through the doors. May the words of our mouth, meditations of our heart today be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 5, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Another translation says it is not selfish. It is not irritable or resentful. We're going to be focusing on arrogant, rude, and does not insist on its own way. I want to direct your attention to another scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. You don't have to turn to it, but if you'd like to, mark it up or write it down in your notes. This is another passage where you'll see these words. Paul's writing to Timothy. And it's almost as if he was writing to us today when you hear this passage. If you haven't studied this, you're like, wow, is he speaking to the 21st century? What's going on? But understand this, that in the last days, which I do believe we're in the last days, church, I feel the trumpet section is warming up and it's about to blow. We will come through difficult times. People will be lovers of self. That's selfishness. Can you relate? Lovers of money, you can be selfish with your money. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Anybody who's a parent? Check. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good. Man, I feel like that's huge today. Like we're celebrating evil not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Here's a big one, and I think we're all guilty of this sometimes. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. The three words we're looking at, arrogant, is to be puffed up or inflate, to be proud, rude, to behave in an unbecoming manner, improperly, dishonorably, indecently, Rudely, selfish, to desire, want, to seek, strive, to require, demand, and ask for. So I, I polled a couple people from the church to see what do you think it means to be selfish? And here were their responses. The world revolves around us. Selfishness is the choice to decide yourself over another person's desires. Maybe you don't care about them. Selfishness is when I get irritated by demands on my time and it leads to anger. Greedy. Uh, wanting everyone else to fail when you succeed. When I think about selfish, I think it means self-serving. Selfishness is caring about yourself. Someone who thinks of themselves only and not others. All about me. Greedy. I'm not thinking that there's anyone else in the world but me. Narcissism. Greedy. Me. Selfishness is putting yourself before others. All to yourself. Self-absorbed. It's all about me. Only caring about yourself. Putting your own needs or wants ahead of others' needs. Selfishness. 
is the opposite of Christ-likeness. Success, arrogance takes credit for my success, and boasting is letting others know about my success. The antidote to these non-Christian virtues is humility. A couple other examples of selfishness, being more concerned with my interests over God's or others. The fear of being rejected. I think that's an easy way to be selfish, prompted by the Spirit to do something. And maybe it's sharing your faith, and you're like, oh, I'm going to be rejected. Mm. You were selfish because you were concerned more about you than the person maybe who you were going to minister to. Being controlling, and then Colleen said this, protective of my time. I think we're all very selfish in that area. I'm speaking to myself, church. Protective of your time. You know, we all want a kid's dedicated. Oh, yeah, we all agreed to help, but we don't have enough volunteers in the nursery, in the children's ministries, in youth service, uh, teaching Sunday school, kids club Wednesday nights. Like, that's being selfish of our time. If we're to be honest, right? <clears throat> Not rejoicing when others succeed. I think Joey said that in the video. You heard Joey say that. Everybody has an opinion. Yours is not always right. Uh, Mindy and I has been reminding me sometimes of this. We all have an opinion. And sometimes you feel like your opinion is right. Well, you probably do think yours is right, but it doesn't mean yours is right, right? But again, that's an act of selfishness because I'm right, you're wrong. Well, who's to say that? Just an act of selfishness. <clears throat> Life is about choices. Choose to put the love of others above ourselves. And as we are reminded of the great love God displayed to us, on the cross, love is God-centered, not self-centered. I said before, if you want to be a good baseball player, look at Mike Trout. If you want to be a good musician, look at a famous musician. If you want to be a good doctor, look at Ben Carson. If we want to look at somebody who's not selfish and be a good Christian, we're going to look at the life of who? Christ. I think this passage is probably the... To me, in my opinion, again, my opinion's not right, but this is God's word. I think this is the key to a successful relationship. From the book of Philippians chapter 2, again, I would highlight this, underline it, mark it, memorize it, write it on a 3 by 5 card. I think this is the key to any relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a relationship with a family member, a co-worker. Philippians 2, 3 through 8, we see, see the example of Christ. He says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's selflessness. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Like imagine you do that in your relationship with your spouse, right? If you think of them before yourself, it's going to work a little bit better. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let's pause right there. Think about that verse. If God was selfish, here's where we would stand. Though he was in the form of God, he did count equality with God, something to be grasped, and he says, you're on your own. Forget about the cross. You messed up. Good luck. That's kind of funny, right? But it's okay. He was not selfish. If he was selfish, we'd be in big trouble. Big trouble. He did not count equality with God. He could have said, listen, 
I gave you a choice back in the garden. You can eat anything you want, but not the one tree. It was a test of their obedience and submission to his authority. That's like us every day. You have a choice every day to live in his authority or to live selfishly. If we're to be honest, when we, when we indulge in sin, when we act in sin, it's purely selfish. And whatever that may be, it could be the selfishness of your time. I want to do this. I want to do that. Pornography. If we're to be honest, purely selfish. Maybe you have a uh, stealing from work, purely selfish. You fill in the blank. And we'll continue. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, selflessness, by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, that's Christmas Day, Christmas Day, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. How is your love today, church? How are you loving others above yourself? Christ's example to us was in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. We're going to celebrate that in a little bit. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And then I love this verse, highlight it, write it down on a three-by-five card, mark it. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, Paul says, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. That's our bottom line, church. That's our goal in life, is to share Christ. Elections are coming up on Tuesday. Big time, right? Does it matter if they're Republican or Democrat? Does it matter if they're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask? We got real uptight about those things. But if the trumpet blew tomorrow, it wouldn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. It wouldn't matter if you're wearing a mask or not. If they don't know Christ, they're going to spend eternity separated from the love of God. We've never experienced the absence of God's presence. That's what hell's going to be like, the absence of God's presence. That they may be saved. So last Saturday, Mindy went in the kitchen, all of a sudden heard a pop. And the fridge, like, you know, control thing, we knew it was, it was shot. It was on the fritz anyway. We've had it for 12 years. If your appliance goes 10 years, they say you've done well. I think they intentionally make them that way, so you have to buy a new one. I know grandma's fridge was like 1,500 years old, and it still worked. So everything breaks in 10 years, so you have to buy a new one. So I'm looking at on, you know, I'm looking on Best Buy, and they're like, you want a new fridge December 14th? I'm like, I need a fridge today. I don't need one December 14th. So I'm like, this is not good. Everywhere is like five weeks wait. I'm like, what? So we drove up after church last Sunday. Um, wasn't in our, our budget for the week, but that's cool. And we drive up to Best Buy. And I remember Dave, the first message he ever preached at Grace Point. And it's stuck with Mindy and I ever since. He says, pray before you plow. Pray before you plow. You know, before you're going into a business meeting, you're going to have a confrontation with somebody at work. Just pray about it. You're going into this or that. Just pray about it. You're making a big decision with your spouse. Pray about it. You're about to buy a house. Pray about it. Kids, you got a big test coming up in school. Pray about it. As long as you study, pray about it. So we've just, short prayer, just, Lord, give us wisdom, direct us to the right salesman, and, 
help us find a fridge that we could take today because we need it today. So we walk in, we go over to the um, appliance center Best Buy, and I see a dude in an Eagles jersey. I was like, that's my man. <laughs> so his name was Josh. So, you know, small talk. He was busy with another customer, and there was three other salesmen, but I'm like, I want the dude with the Eagles jersey because we're going to talk football. So Mindy and I just start browsing and window shopping, looking at the prices, and they're very nice, and we're not very picky. We don't, we choose not to make a big deal about stuff. Some people, you can make a big deal when you're buying something, like, it's not a big deal. Just buy the carpet. Who cares what color it is? Who cares what color your car is? Just choose not to make big deals about stupid things that don't matter. So we, we go, and then we're like, these are very expensive fridges now. Like, you don't buy a fridge for $500 anymore. So we go back to the open box section. And there was a few there, come had dents on them and stuff, but, ah, this was a decent one. Okay. Um, I like it. You like that? She's like, yeah, I like it. Okay, that's fine. Let's do it. So we go, finally, Josh is available. So, of course, we're like, you know, go birds. We're talking football. And long story short, he ends up being our salesman. We end up uh, buying that fridge. He's like, yeah, you can't get a new one until December 14th. I was like, Josh, we need it today. So we end up getting this one. While we're sitting at the desk, you know, signing the papers or whatnot, Mindy probably felt the prompt of the Holy Spirit and easily could have been selfish and say, I'm going to fear of being rejected. She starts witnessing to him and just asking a couple questions, sharing, sharing the faith. And I was like, go, babe, that's awesome, you know? And so then I just quick prayed in my head, look, you know, give her the words to say, and then I, ch I chime in, and she ends up inviting him out to one winter night. And we'd love to tell you that he got on his knees and said, said this in a prayer, but he didn't. But the Lord's working in his heart. She invited him out to one winter night. Here we find out he lives two streets over from us, from where we live. Coincidence? I don't think so. Fridge broken on Saturday? I don't think so. Not a coincidence. God doesn't make mistakes. He knew we had to go to Best Buy to have a conversation with Josh. I remember Mike Sutterman a couple years at the men's retreat. He says, your job is not to save anybody because that's God's job anyway. You can't save anybody. He says, but maybe you'll get him from A to B or A to C. And then the next person who has a conversation will get him from D to G. You know, so I don't know. Maybe we got him from A to B, A to C. We did invite him out to one winter night. So let's pray for Josh that he comes out. But if we were being selfish, I mean, pure, I mean, my first thought, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> was selfish. Like, I got time for this. I'm going to go home and watch football. You know, like, it's, the game's coming on, or, you know, she's got to get the youth group, or, you know, you fill in the blank. That's what goes through your mind. You're always naturally inclined to a selfish thought. When you're about to indulge in sin, it's a selfish action. But that's where we have to abide by the spirit and not by the flesh. If you abide by the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Our ultimate goal should be that they may be saved, not that you'd be happy or that your time works how you'd... I wasn't planning to go buy a fridge for the weekend. That's not on my list of things to do. But seize every opportunity as maybe God puts you in this path to meet this person. You might meet some people on Tuesday when you go to the polls. Who cares what they are? Who cares what they vote for? If the trumpet blows, that doesn't matter. Do they know Christ and Christ crucified? That they may be saved. John Piper wrote this, selfishness seeks its own private happiness at the expense of others. Love seeks its happiness in the happiness of the beloved. It will even suffer and die to the beloved in order that its joy might be full in the life and purity of the beloved. Now, when it says that you, know, you would die to 
It's not actually saying we might take a physical death if you love somebody. It might, but most of us, that's not going to be the death referring to. Death is just dying to yourself, putting that person above yourself and your needs, thinking of them more important than yourself. The first week, Dave mentioned taking the 1 Corinthians 13 passage and replacing the word love with God. God is patient. God is kind. God is not selfish. I want to give you an exercise to do this morning, church. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 or on your devos this week. Take take a moment to do this exercise. Everywhere you see the word love, replace it with your name. So I would say... Daryl is patient and kind. Not really. Daryl does not envy or boast. Nah, I kind of do. He's not arrogant or rude. I was rude the other day. Daryl does not insist on his own way. I think we all would say, yes, we do insist on our own way. He's not irritable. I get irritable. Not resentful. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Daryl bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I've got work to do. You know, if you put your name there and say, what are you struggling with? So listen, you're not, you're not going to be like this overnight. You know, it's a marathon, not a, not a sprint. <clears throat> so replace your name. Psalm 139 says, search me and know my heart. So in a moment, you're going to have a chance to just maybe confess your sin to the Lord. Maybe say, God, where am I being selfish? Is it in a sin area? Is it in time? Is it with my money? Is it with my speech? Fill in the blank. <clears throat> he says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. First Corinthians 16. Be men, and I'll say, and women of courage. Act like men or women. Be strong. That's a tough one today. Like, act, act like a man. Act like a, like a Christian man, a Christian woman. They will know we are Christians by our what? Love. How's your love? Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you selfish? Do you rejoice in the truth or do you rejoice in the wrong? Do everything in love. The more we become like Christ, the more love we will show to others. Love is God-centered, not self-centered. For to be honest, sin is selfishness. If that's the case, we need to confess it to the Lord. Invite the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, Christ died for us that we might not live for ourselves. Christ died for us so that we might not be selfish. So the worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us in some songs before we take communion. I'd also encourage you this, this week is look at the book of 1 John. I love the book of 1 John. It might be my favorite book of the Bible, one of them. Well, I mean, I love Joseph in Genesis. He's one of my favorite characters. You know, Joseph, when tempted with sin, he easily could have been selfish, right? Potiphar's wife, she was beautiful. She would have made life for him better, probably given him better food, better clothes, better place to live. And what was his response? He says, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? That's a fear of the Lord. That's not being selfish. He could have been selfish, but like, come on, Right? He feared God. He loved God. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. I'm going to give you one verse from each chapter. There's five chapters in the book of 1 John. Read one chapter a day for the next five days. 
and then ask God to speak to your heart. Have a three by five card, write something on it. First John 1, 9, which we're going to take a moment now. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. First John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. First John 3, 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In this is love, 1 John 4, 10, not that we loved God that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then one of my favorite verses, 1 John 5, 2 to 3, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. And this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. I use that verse often with the young with the youth, with the kids at school. You think, if I come a Christian, I can't do God doesn't say you can't do this or do that. But once you fall in love with Jesus, you'll want to please him. You'll not want to live in sin. You'll want to live in love for God. So we're going to take a moment just to be still before the Lord, confess our sin, maybe confess an area of selfishness. What area are you selfish within your life? I know we all have areas to improve to become more like Christ. So we're going to do that, and then Jeremy's going to come and take us before the Lord's Supper and celebrate communion. <clears throat>